to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we're going to continue the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. But before we jump in and get started, I want to tell you how we're going to end. I already knew how it was going to end, but I just felt like I needed to tell you how we plan to end. We're going to talk today about Jesus's power to heal. Primarily physically in this story, although there's more than that in this story we're going to look at, but he can also heal Mentally and emotionally, and I'm not trying to say that Christianity just makes things so simple that no matter how deep and difficult and uh, intense your problem is, all you got to do is just pray and say, Jesus, touch me, and everything's okay. He can do that, okay? But I don't want to make things too simplistic either. Sometimes God through, works through processes, Okay, and to bring healing of hurts and pains and things like that in people's lives. But the point is that Jesus does heal. And as we get to the end of the service, the worship team is going to come up as they always do. And they're going to sing the song we just concluded our worship with, Healing is Here. And I just felt led that today we wanted to spend some time at the end of our service to pray for people that need healing. And this is what's kind of on my heart. I'm going to, at the end of the service, invite our elders and Pastor Jan, any other members of the prayer team that are here that want to be involved to come down front. But I'm going to ask those who need a touch from God today, physical healing definitely, but any other kind of touch, I'm going to invite you to step into the aisles. And then we're going to come out and we're going to pray with you. Some of us will have anointing oil. And if you would like that, we'll be glad to anoint you with oil and we're going to pray for you. But I'll tell you, um, at the very beginning, I'm not going to be praying for anybody else because I'm going to be in the line. <laughs> I need healing. Some of you know I've discovered recently because of some pain I'm having that I've got some tears in my shoulder. Doesn't seem like terrible, terrible, got to have surgery type thing, but it's painful. So I'm going to get in the line and be prayed for and then I'll go out and pray for other people. But that... That is what we're going to do at the end of the service. I just felt like I should share that with you so you can be ready, so you can be anticipating that maybe God wants to touch you today. I don't have any promises from God exactly what he will do for anybody in particular, for myself in particular, or for you in particular. But if we come to God and ask and allow him to do what he wants to do, I believe he will touch our lives today. So I wanted you to be aware of that. The title of our message today is If only. If only. I guarantee you that you have probably used those words before. Maybe a number of times. When you think of that, if only, if only, how do we use those words? Sometimes we use them having to do with the past. And if we use if only in in relationship to the past, it usually has to do with regrets or something that we wish would be different 
because of something that happened in the past. Well, if only I had not dropped out of school. Oh, if only I had pursued this area of study. Oh, if only I would have taken that job opportunity. Oh, if only I wouldn't have taken that job. Oh, if only I would have pursued that relationship or not pursued. You know, if only in the past things would be different now, it's too late. Sometimes our if onlys have to do with the future. Oh, if only this would happen then. Oh, if only I could pay off my mortgage, then I'd have more money to do this. Oh, if only my car will get me through the rest of the week. I mean, sometimes they're very simple. Sometimes they're smaller. Sometimes they're bigger. But we've got these if onlys, and they have to do with hopes for the future. But today in our story, we're going to see a woman who had an if only, and it had to do with the present. This woman had a problem. She desperately needed Jesus because for 12 years she had gone to every other possible solution she could think of and they had all let her down. They were not successful. In fact, things only got worse. If only. Maybe we've had these thoughts of if only Jesus would, would, would listen. If, if only Jesus would, would do something. If only he would respond to me. If only he could do something. If only he would do something about what's going on in my life. We're going to be looking at the same passage we looked at last week in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 20, because there are two stories that are intertwined. The story we looked at last week was the story of Jairus. He also had an if only. His daughter was sick and dying. He doesn't say the words if only, but I'm sure he was. If only Jesus will show up because Jesus was away. If only will Jesus will get here in time. If only Jesus will go with me. If only Jesus will do something, my daughter's going to be okay. So we looked at his story last week, and we'll mention a little bit today comparison to the current story, but we see intertwined with his story is the story of an unnamed woman who, as I said, has some if-onlys, some if-onlys that are probably very similar to if-onlys that we deal with sometimes. So let's read through this story in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. Jesus has been away on the other side of the lake. He's in a boat coming back. Somehow, people know he's going to show up because there's a crowd waiting for him. And that's where we jump in in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, because this is where he started, he went across the lake, now he's coming back. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. I mentioned last week, sometimes we're just waiting for Jesus, right? We're just waiting for a certain situation in our life, certain situation in our body, certain situation in our family, relationship, work, school. We're just, you know, we're praying, we're waiting for Jesus. And this crowd, big crowd, waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Now, as I said, we looked at Jairus' story last week. If you missed that, you can go online and listen to it. You can watch it. The video is there. But Jairus had this if only, if only Jesus gets back in time, will go with me, touch my, do something. The crowd is there and he entreats Jesus, please come. And Jesus, it seems to indicate, immediately responds to this, let's go, let's go. They're going through the streets of this town 
on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. There's a great crowd. We're going to read that, that there are so many people that they're just crushed together. The word that is used here for pressed, it says people are pressing up against it. It's crushed. It's the same word that's used to crush grapes to get the juice out. It's the same word to use to crush anything. So many people just shoulder to shoulder and pressed in and jostling together. Everybody wants to see what Jesus is going to do. Verse 42, second half. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Let me just stop right there and be as delicate as I can. This woman had a gynecological problem. If you don't know what gynecological means, you can look it up later. Okay? And this problem had existed for 12 years, nonstop. In Jewish culture and the instructions God gave, when something like that happened, usually for a very brief period of time, you were to withdraw from everybody else because you were considered unclean, not like nasty or nobody loves you or anything like that. It's just you're going through a time and you just need to set aside some time, just rest and um, just stay away from everybody. You weren't supposed to go to the temple in Jerusalem, which this isn't even close to Jerusalem, but if you were injured, you weren't supposed to go to temple to worship. You weren't supposed to go to synagogue, which is the way people worshiped in their local town. You were Because if any, if, if, if you got around other people and they were in contact with you, they became unclean also. And they would have to separate themselves until the next day. And so you just put yourself aside for a short time until this condition stopped. But this woman's condition did not stop for 12 years. If you're familiar at all with biblical teaching, maybe you've heard some teaching about leprosy. You know, when someone had a skin disease, it was leprosy, that they had to leave society, they had to leave their community, they had to go and either be alone or with other lepers until their leprosy was gone. And this was very, very similar. You could not have social contact. You could not get together with other people. You could not go to worship in their avenues of worship, the temple in Jerusalem or the local synagogue. This woman had had this condition for 12 years. She should not be here. She shouldn't be around people at all, even at a little bit of a distance, much less in the midst of this crowd where everybody is crushed and pressed together. And she is, people are coming in contact with her. And obviously they don't know her condition. They don't know who, I don't know. She, you know, either she's from out of town. We don't know. It's a tradition saying she's from another town and she came to see Jesus. She could be from that town and she may have veiled herself or whatever so people didn't know who she was because with 12 years, people would know all about this woman in the area where she lived. But somehow, people don't know who she is and she is risking judgment and condemnation and all kinds of problems. But you know what? She's been struggling with all kinds of problems for 12 years and she is desperate. It goes on. She's had this discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Now, this is Luke writing this. Luke is a physician, so he knows what he's talking about. He says she tried. She had, I don't know how much money she had started out with, but whatever she had, she had spent it all on physicians and, and over the course of the 12 years, probably within the first year, perhaps, and, and it hadn't gotten any better. And, and Luke is a physician, so he's sharing this, saying, well, we really couldn't help her. But he leaves out another d- detail that Mark brings out. You know, Mark writes about this, too. He says not only did she not get better, but she got worse. 
Luke, Luke, the physician, didn't want to put that part in there. (laughs) She went to the doctors and she got worse. But she got worse. She could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. The fringe of his garment. Often when we picture this, we picture a woman on the ground reaching out, touching the hem. Doesn't say hem, it says fringe of the garment. So how could that be possible in a crowd where everybody's pressed together? Well, maybe it did happen somehow, but the other solution is the fact that Jewish men would have this um, I don't even know what they call it, this, this, this part of their garment that they would toss over their shoulder. And on the end of that, the hem of that would be these little tassels. They also wore tassels on the bottom of their uh, longer garments. And among those tassels were these little blue tassels. And there were things that had developed from some instructions God gave in the Old Testament and kind of come up in their culture. And that was so that when the men put their garments on, those tassels were to remind them that they were had a special relationship with God and they had a responsibility to live holy lives. Don't know where this lady got this idea. There's nothing in God's word that says, hey, these tassels have special power or anything like that. But in her mind, she's thinking, if I could just touch Jesus, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, as the old song said, if I could just touch these tassels, is what she's thinking, I can be healed. If only. Now, Luke's version doesn't mention those words, if only, but Matthew and Mark both do. Say, she's thinking, if only, if only, if only, if only. I can't help but wonder when she's in the crowd on the edge of the seashore, Jesus' boat comes, she's thinking, finally, my opportunity. Somehow I'll get close to Jesus, tell him about my situation, whatever, and then Jairus pops up and he's got Jesus' attention, they start taking off. I'm so glad she didn't say, I missed my opportunity and went home. She had persistence. We'll talk some more about it in a moment, but she had persistence. She said, I'm not giving up somehow I'm going to get close enough. Maybe I can't talk to him, so I'll just touch him. I'll just touch him. Verse 44, she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. There's that word pressing. They're crushed. He says, who hasn't touched you? When I was studying for this, somebody said, this is sort of like the President of the United States stepping out of an airplane, coming down the steps and saying, who took a picture of me? It's like, who didn't take a picture of you? All right? And this is kind of like, Peter says, who didn't touch you? Everybody's been pressed. Anybody that got anywhere close to you, touched you, they made contact with you. But Jesus knew that in the midst of all those different contacts, somebody had had a contact with him that was different than all the others. And Bible scholars have been debated this ever since this book was written. Did Jesus really not know or did he know? And he was just trying to point it out and whatever. And we can debate. But you know what? That's not what's important. The important thing is Jesus asked the question. Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, 
She came trembling. Perhaps she had started making her way back out of the crowd because when Jesus stopped, made this big scene, said this, I just can't help but wonder if maybe Jesus was looking right at her because it says she saw that she had not remained hidden, which seems to indicate somebody knew it was her, and the only person I can think of that would have known it was her was Jesus. Speculation, my opinion, But the Bible says she knew, and so she came. So she'd made some distance, but she's coming back. She's trembling. She's afraid. What is she afraid of? We don't know. Is she afraid that now she's been caught, her healing will be taken away? Is she afraid when people find out who she is and what's happened, that they will cause all kinds of problems because she never should have been in the crowd to begin with? She's afraid. She's trembling. She came trembling and falling down before Jesus, declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him. She came clean. No pun intended, but it works, doesn't it? (laughs) She came clean. And how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her daughter, the only place in Scripture where Jesus called someone daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Why did Jesus make such a big scene? We'll talk about that before we get to the end. There's probably any number of if-onlys in this story, but I want to just deal with three of them that perhaps this lady had been wrestling with, and even Jairus was probably wrestling with, but they're the same kind of if-onlys that maybe we wrestle with in our lives too. And the first one is this, if only Jesus would respond to me. If only Jesus would respond to me. Okay, I want to get Jesus' attention. I hope he's going to respond to me. If only he would. You know, we talked about this with Jairus. He's on the seashore waiting for Jesus to come. I'm sure he's thinking, if only Jesus will respond to me. If only Jesus will hear me out. If only Jesus will go with me. If only Jesus will do something for my daughter. So Jairus has got this, if only. And we can't help but wonder, did Jairus wonder if Jesus would respond or not? Would he say, I'm sorry, Jairus, I've got to be somewhere. I'm sorry, Jairus, I can't, I, you know, there's a crowd here, I've got to deal with them. You know, we don't know what Jairus might have expected or not expected, but I'll be honest with you, compared to this woman we're looking at primarily today, Jairus had a lot more going for him. At least as far as the world is concerned, at least as far as this culture is concerned, in the natural, in the logical, if Jesus is going to give his attention to anybody, it's going to be Jairus. I just want to give you a real quick comparison between Jairus and this woman. Jairus was a man, this woman was a woman. So that's pretty obvious. Although not near as obvious in our culture today. Anyway, Jairus was a man. This woman was a woman, and this is not Jesus' attitude. It's definitely not God's attitude, but in their culture, women were a lot of steps lower than men. Okay? Not only that, Jairus was probably very well-to-do. He was the leader of the synagogue, whereas this woman was poor. State specifically, she'd spent all her money. She had nothing left. Jairus was probably loved by his family and friends, and it's his love that drives him to want Jesus to touch his daughter. Whereas this woman, we don't know anything about her family other than the fact she hadn't been able to be with them for 12 years, if she even had any. In fact, she was an outcast. She didn't have any friends. 
She had to live on the fringe of society, stay away from everybody. Jairus was in a position of influence. This woman was nobody by the world's standards. Jairus not only could worship God in the prescribed way, but he was in charge of it and was actively involved in it, whereas this woman could not go to the places where their people would worship together. Jairus had everything, and this woman had nothing. So maybe in the eyes of the world or in the way people value things, Jairus had the opportunity of maybe Jesus would respond to him. But what about this woman? I mean, obviously she had a hope that he would or she wouldn't have shown up. But you can't help but maybe she wondered, will Jesus respond to me? If only, if only Jesus would respond to me. She would perhaps have doubt because of her position, which we just talked about, but she definitely would have doubt because of her condition. I've already described that condition to you. And if you want to do a little bit more deeper study on this whole situation, you can read Leviticus chapter 15. That's the place in God's law where he talks about these kind of conditions and what need to be done about it. If only Jesus would respond to me. Don't we wrestle with the same thing sometimes? I mean, we can be all spiritual. Oh, of course, Jesus will respond to you. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. He's always there. He's always listening. And we know those things to be true, but the doubts still come. Because we pray and it seems like nobody's listening. We pray and it seems like nobody's doing anything. We pray and it seems like nobody's there to respond. We know the truth, but we don't always feel it and experience it. So sometimes those questions might come. If only Jesus would respond. Or maybe we say, I know he does, but he's not right now. So if only he would respond. I've been asking for so long. I've been waiting for so long. If only Jesus would respond to me. Sometimes we say, well, I don't know that he will. Because I'm not worthy. To be honest, that's true of every single one of us. But sometimes people say, well, I don't know. I mean, if only Jesus would, but I don't think he will because of the sin in my life. Because of the mistakes I've made. Because I'm not that important, like this woman might have felt. I'm really not that important. I mean, certainly Jesus is not going to respond to me like he would for the pastor or the elders. You know, I had this idea growing up as a kid that pastors were like some kind of super Christian and 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 so holy and righteous, and they had a direct line to God, and not only did they talk to God, but God talked right back, you know, and they heard him clearly and all that kind of stuff, and, and when they asked something, God put them on the top of the list, and now that I'm a pastor, I realize it's not necessarily like that. Pastors have to live life just like everybody else, but the good news is that God loves everybody else just as much as he loves a pastor or an elder. If only Jesus would respond to me. Maybe he won't because of my sin, my failures. I'm not important. Is he listening? Will he listen? And here's here's the main point I want to give you for this, if only. Jesus doesn't ignore anyone. Now, you may have some issues in your life that need to be dealt with, but he wants to help you deal with them. You may have your sin in your life that you need to take care of, but he he's the one that paid the price to take care of it. He wants you to come to him, and Jesus doesn't ignore 
anyone. This was so good for Jairus. He was so full of anxiety. His daughter's sick. She's about ready to die. Jesus shows up. Yes, let's go. And they're on their way to his house. Because Jesus never turned away from someone looking to him for answers. But the fact that Jesus doesn't ignore anyone was also bad news for Jairus. Because when this woman touched her, the power went out from her. She was healed. Jesus stopped and had this conversation. It only takes a couple minutes to read it, but we don't know how long it was. They could have been there for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. This is just a summary. And I'm sure Jairus is there like, we talked about this last week. Come on, Jesus, come on. She's, she's sick. She's going to die. But you know what? Jesus loved Jairus and he loved Jairus' daughter and he knew what he was going to do. But he also loved this woman. And he says, I'm not going to ignore this woman just to take care of your need. Your need is going to be okay. Now, he didn't say that at the moment. He's going to say it in a couple minutes to Jairus. But he says, your need's not more important than hers. You've got a different position. You've got different dynamics. All this kind of stuff in the world. You look really cool and all this kind of stuff. But this woman is important to me. Jesus doesn't ignore anyone. I'll put it this way. Everyone is valued by Jesus. Everyone is valued by Jesus. As I share with you, Jairus and this woman are opposites in so many ways, but Jesus responded to both of them, and he, he acted as if he had all the time in the world for their particular need. And, and, you know, this is one of the main themes of Luke. We've mentioned it several times. Jesus came into the world not just to touch the special, not just to touch the important, not just to touch the spiritual, not just to touch the people that were well-accepted and well-liked by culture and society. In fact, Luke makes it a point to emphasize that Jesus came for the sinner. Jesus came for the outcast. Jesus came for the women who were considered not as important as everybody else. Again, that's not Jesus' view. In fact, people that have claimed that Christianity have held women back all through history. I've said this many times. No, it was the force and the teachings of Christianity that began to release women from the bondages that they were in through most of history. So Jesus came for the poor, the outcast, the stranger, the non-Jew. And can I tell you, as we look at today, Jesus will not ignore you. If you come to him in sincerity and humility, consider for just a moment, what is keeping you from coming to Jesus? What is keeping you from reaching out to him, for believing he will respond, believing that he cares? Please know it's a lie. It's a lie. Now, a little side lesson I just want to throw in here. Because Jesus values everyone, we should too. Whole nother sermon, but we need to pray, God, who is it that I have the tendency to overlook? Who is it that I might not would take the time to spend the time of day with? Who is it that I don't have time for because of fill in the blank? I can't preach that message today. It's been preached before. We'll preach it again. If only Jesus would respond to me. The second if only is this. If only Jesus could do something about my situation. Now, again, that sounds like, well, wait a minute, we know that's not true. Jesus can do anything. But we know the truth up here. But do we know it here? Do we really believe it? 
I mean, there's probably certain things that you pray to God for, that you pray to Jesus for, that you have pretty good confidence that he's going to answer it. But yet there's kind of a line where it's like, well, can I really go beyond that? And sometimes it's not deliberate. Sometimes it's not a lack of faith. I'll give you a really quick personal right here this morning instance of this. God laid it on my heart like I shared with you at the beginning of how we're going to end. We're going to pray for people for healing. But it never came into my mind to have somebody pray for me. Now, please understand, I've been talking about my shoulder to God ever since I started having problems with it, even before I went to the doctor and had the MRI and said there's some tears in it. I've been talking to God about it all along. I've been praying every day, Lord, would you heal it? I know you can. You know, if you're not yet, you've got a reason, but I'm praying for healing. But when it came time to plan in this service and all that kind of stuff, I said, oh, God, you want us to pray for people for healing today. Okay, you want them to step into the aisle, you know? And I'm thinking, okay, great, I'm going to go back with the elders and the other staff. And we're going to pray and all that kind of stuff. And God said, wait a minute. You need to be standing in that aisle. I said, okay, thank you, Jesus. I will. I'd love it if I stand in the aisle and somebody prays for me and God totally takes that pain away. But whether it goes away or not, I'm still going to serve and I'm still going to trust him. But I didn't even think about it. But what is the line beyond which maybe you don't, you hesitate to ask God because it's like, well, I know he can, I know he can, but it's such a big deal or it's such a, maybe it's because it's such a small deal. Sometimes we don't take the small stuff to God because why would God bother with that? God cares about everything that's important to us. I think of the story of Jairus. Again, we looked at it last week. He was believing Jesus to heal his daughter so that she could be well. But when he got word that she had actually died, it seems to indicate that he gave up hope. Because you go on in the story, which we didn't, Jesus turns to him and says, don't be afraid. Just believe she's going to be okay. You see, Jairus could believe that Jesus could heal his sick daughter, but his dead daughter... That didn't happen. Do we wrestle with those some boundaries? Are there certain things we don't really take to God and believe Him for? Not because we really don't believe He can do it, but we really don't believe He will? Maybe. Why, why do we even wrestle with that? I think it's because there's so many times we have prayed for things and it's not come out the way we wanted it to. And there are reasons for that. This woman... She's in a hopeless situation, but she still came to Jesus. She still came to Jesus. Our situation may be hopeless, may seem hopeless. The doctors may say there's nothing else that can be done. But here's an important truth. Impossibilities for us are opportunities for Jesus. Impossibilities for us are opportunities for Jesus. We say we believe that, but we don't always act like it, and our attitudes don't always show it because, again, we pray and we see that God doesn't do anything right away. But we've got to take all of God's truth into account. I've mentioned this many times. I even mentioned it briefly last week, that God's timing is not always our timing. We always want everything now. But God knows there may be a reason why it's better to wait a little while. And not only that, but God may be trying to work something else out that he needs to wait or he wants to wait or he's going to wait a little while to meet that particular need because it's going to bring about some other purpose that's going to be even better in the long run. That's going to become so important for us to cling to what is one of my favorite promises in God's word, Romans eight twenty eight, where it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose, for people who love God, for people who are living for God and seeking God when there's bad in your life and God's not taking it away yet, whatever it is, he's got a purpose. And even though he may not want that bad, maybe he didn't put that bad there, but he's going to bring good out of it because God is so good at doing that. The question is, will we trust that he knows what's best and will respond accordingly? So if only Jesus would respond to me, if only Jesus could do something about my situation, the third and last if only is this, if only Jesus would do something about my situation. And see, this is where we get stuck. Okay, maybe I do really believe he can do anything. I know that my impossibilities are his possibilities and his opportunities and God can do anything. But, you know, Pastor, you just said sometimes he doesn't. He's got his reasons and that is true. But sometimes that holds us back from even asking from pressing in. This woman had persistence. It holds us back from pressing in because we wonder if only Jesus would do something about my situation. Jairus, once he got word that his daughter died, gave up hope, but Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Only believe. She'll be fine. This woman, she was healed, and Jesus said, your faith has healed you. What about us today? The truth I want to bring out from this, if only, is Jesus always responds to faith. Now, faith is so crucial. We talked a little bit about faith last week. We're going to refresh it a little bit this week. Faith is how we're saved. We talked about that when we took communion this morning. We can only be saved because of our faith in him. The Bible says that we live our lives by faith. We come to God in faith. We believe in faith you know, that God will do what needs to be done in our lives. In fact, Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, talking about God. Faith is absolutely necessary. But what is faith? I know I said this last week, but this is so important for us to keep focused on. What is faith? It is trusting God. I like the way one pastor puts it, it's trusting God enough to do what he says. If you truly trust God, you're going to live the life he calls you to live. If you truly trust God, you're going to do what he asks you to do. If you don't do what he asks you to do, and you claim to trust him and to know him, I mean, you can choose not to do what he asks you to do because, like, I don't want to do that. But we're talking about people of faith. We're talking about people who have a relationship with God, who want to live in a way to please him. It's trusting God enough to do what he says, to, to, to believe, to, to, to let that work out in your life in obedience and in persistence. Persistence. You know, Jesus told a parable about praying, and when you don't get your answer right away, just keep praying. Keep praying. God's got a reason, but keep praying. Keep praying. How much faith did the woman have? We don't know. But she had enough to go into a crowd where she shouldn't have been, and if she had been caught and recognized, she could get into a lot of trouble. Enough to push through, to reach out, to touch Jesus. And she was healed. The thing that's interesting is that her faith was in Jesus, but it also seems like it had a little bit of superstition mixed in. What do I mean by that? 
There's nothing in God's word that if you touch a garment or a tassel or, or whatever, you know, that there's power in that, but that's what she was reaching out for. But I think ultimately her faith was in Jesus. She didn't just reach out to anybody's tassel or garment. It was Jesus, this one who has obviously been sent from God. And, and what that shows me is that God wants to respond to whatever faith we have. Now, I don't mean that you should have faith in, 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 in something that's ungodly or anything like that, but, you know, if it's, it's headed the right direction, God's not going to say, okay, now that lady, she's got some faith in Jesus, but she's got this little superstitious idea there, so I'm not going to heal her yet till she gets past that. In fact, it's really interesting because Matthew quotes Isaiah, a passage that talks about this Messiah that's going to come and what he's going to be like. And one of the phrases he used, Matthew 12, 20 says, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. The idea being there, if somebody's weak, if someone's not full strength, Jesus isn't going to kind of push them aside. He's not going to quench them. He's going to try to fan to life. He's going to try to bring strength. He's going to try to bring that smoldering wick to a bright flame. He's going to honor the faith in him not the stars and the moon and the other God. But he's going to honor the faith in him, even if it's a little... He's going to honor that faith. So we don't know how much faith she had, but enough to attempt, enough to go, enough to put forth the effort, enough to persist, and enough to get healed. How many people touched Jesus that day? <laughs> Asked Peter. I don't know. Pretty much everybody that was close. How many got healed in the crowd? We know Jairus' daughter got healed. The one lady. Why? Other people touch Jesus. You know, other people come in contact with Jesus today all the time. But only certain people's lives are changed. The ones who come to him in faith. The faith is what made the difference. This story illustrates the value of persistence, persistence in prayer, persistence in obedience, pushing past and through the obstacles, including other people's lack of faith. Here's another thought I want to leave with you, and that is stop trying to measure your faith and start using it. I've said this before. Stop trying to measure your faith and start using it. We should all say, Lord, I want to grow in my faith. Help me to trust you more. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Pray along those lines. But sometimes we get so caught up in, do I have enough faith? I don't have enough faith. I got to somehow work up enough faith. I got to say, you know, what can I do to work up my, you know, and we need to be focused on Jesus and use the faith we have. I mentioned last week, Jesus often said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and we often look at this and say, well, it is so powerful, even that little bit can, boo, wow, look at what it can do. And that's not the point. The point isn't so much you have a lot of faith, a little faith. It's you've got some, use it, and God will respond. And that's one of the best ways to grow your faith. Use the faith you have, and you see what God does, and it causes your faith to grow. It causes your faith to grow. As we're going to be praying for people in just a couple of moments, you say, I don't know if I have enough faith to believe that God really will touch me today. Well, I'd say, well, what faith do you have? Do you have the faith that God can? Yeah? Act on that faith. You say, well, I don't know if I really have the faith that God can. Well, do you have the faith that maybe, maybe God can? Yeah? Act on that faith. Act on the faith. Use the faith you have and leave the results to God.
Leave the results to God. I think of that one man that brought his son to be healed by Jesus, and Jesus was away. He was up on the mountain, the transfiguration. Uh, say that again, transfiguration. And the rest of the disciples, except for Peter, James, and John, are down at the bottom. He brings his son, who's demon-possessed, signs of epilepsy, asks that Jesus could heal him. He's not there, so the disciples pray for him. He doesn't get healed. Jesus comes down, have a conversation, and uh, the guy says, the guy's been discouraged. He came believing Jesus could touch him, but now he's not so sure. He says, Lord, if you can do anything, you know, just would you touch my son? He says, if I can. All things are possible to those who believe. And the guy says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He said, Lord, I've got some faith, but I don't know if it's enough. And so Jesus said, go home, read your Bible some more, pray some more, get yourself all worked up in your faith, and then come back, and I'll pray for him and heal him. No, that's not what he said. Jesus healed him. He responded to the faith he had. He responded to the faith he had. When it seems there's no hope, all we can do is cling by faith to the promises of God. And as I said, I can't guarantee what Jesus will do. There are other preachers and teachers that will get out there and say, well, if you do this, 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 and step, follow this step, 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 that step, and everything, do everything just right, God has to heal you right now. That's not true to the Scripture. God can. God loves you. God wants to work in your life. God wants what's best for you. He's got a plan and purpose for you, your life, and every situation in your life. He wants to meet you at your point of your need. He can heal you. He may heal you, but it's up to him. And faith means not only believing that he can and that he will touch me, but faith also means that, God, if you don't do exactly what I think you should do and what I want you to do, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to seek you. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to obey you because I know you've got my best interests in mind. Last thing I want to talk about before we go to prayer. Why did Jesus stop and make the scene? Why did he make a big deal? He sensed power went out from him. It seems to indicate he knew that it healed somebody. Jairus' situation is serious. He could have said, well... Somebody was healed and maybe he even knew, but you know what? It's taken care of. Let's just go. We got this other thing taken, but he stopped. He had the conversation. Five, 10, 15, 20, however long it took. Why did he do that? Because the woman needed something a little bit more and maybe even a lot bit more than just her bleeding stopped. He didn't want to just see her physically healed. He wanted to see her healed totally. Let me just give you a quick list of some things that happened because he stopped. He confirmed that she truly had been healed and it was permanent. She sensed a change in her body. But how much could she really know about it in that split instant? How could she know that it's not going to start back up again? How could She couldn't. But you know what? Because Jesus stopped and confirmed her healing, she knew on the authority of his word that she truly had been healed. Not only that, he clarified that it wasn't her touch. It wasn't the tassel, but it was her faith in him that had healed her. So he corrected her superstition, if that was even a a something that was present there, but he refocused the fact that the faith should be in him and that the faith is what 
healed her. It was the, not that the faith healed her, but that was the stepping stone. That was the, 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 the motivating factor. That was the thing that released the power was her faith in him, not the superstitious idea about the tassels or the hem. Not only that, but by doing this publicly, even though it was a little bit embarrassing at first, it notified every single person in that crowd that this woman has been an outcast. This woman has not been acceptable. This woman has not been allowed to go into the synagogue to worship. But now she is whole. She is healed. You can hug her. You can have relationship with her. He restored her to the people of God. He addressed her as daughter to show her that she was loved and accepted. And he wanted to experience much more than the physical healing, but the spiritual healing. That word for by your faith you have been healed is the same word in the Greek for by your faith you have been saved. And when you read the gospel of Luke, you see that word is used over and over again to talk about people that Jesus physically healed. But it wasn't just the physically healing, the physical healing. It's what made them right with God. So the indication here is she was not only healed physically, but she was put back in connection with her heavenly father. And he stopped it by saying, go in peace. That sounds like, oh, bye, see ya. It was much more than that. That was the traditional Jewish, uh, uh, whatever you want to call it, okay? And go in peace doesn't mean just, oh, don't go home and have a fight with your family member. It meant peace in that culture. That, that, That word peace means wholeness physical wholeness, spiritual wholeness, emotional wholeness. He says, go in peace. Enjoy the abundant life that God has for you. Be complete. Be whole. Be free from fear. It was embarrassing for her, but it was so worth it. She'd been healed. She'd been restored to God's people. She knew that her relationship with God was great. And that God's presence and power was on her life to live the best life that she could live. And she was nobody. But that's okay. Jesus doesn't ignore anybody. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite our elders, Pastor Jan, to come down here. Any other prayer team members, if you want to be involved in this, come down here. Can I just emphasize again, Jesus won't ignore you. You're important to him. Nothing is too difficult for him. And he will respond to the faith you have. It just hit me that there are several of our elders that are here and some that are not, one that is not. They need a healing touch too. But I'm going to ask them to do what they do so well. And that is to fulfill the role as elders and to pray for other people. But as they pass through, would you reach out and pray for them too? They need healing. If some of you want to take some of the oil, there's some here. There's some here. So I just want to say, we're going to go into singing this song. And if you need a healing, you need a touch from God. Physical, it could be emotional, mental, whatever. You need a touch from God. Would you just step into the aisle? Just step into the aisle. I'm going to come right down here too. I'm going to let our elders and Pastor Jan and others just begin to pray. So let's worship. Let's believe. If you're close to somebody that stepped in, you want to join, put your hand there, do it. And let's just believe God for his touch on the lives today.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to share just a brief moment of a healing that took place in our family. But as I do that, I would like to ask for all of our elders to come down because we're going to pray for them before we close this morning. When our youngest daughter was about in, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, she had a growth come up on the back of her leg behind her knee. And she came down for healing. And we prayed for her. And the Lord told me to tell her. He said, tell Bethany to thank me every day for the healing. That knot was not gone when we finished praying. And I wished I would have written down the date. But it was either one or two two weeks later. She was in the bathroom brushing her teeth. And I was standing behind her. And I noticed that big knot was gone. The Bible says, come to him with the faith of a child. She believed that God would heal her. And he did. And sometimes that healing is instantaneously. And sometimes that healing as we go. And sometimes it's a few days, a few weeks, and maybe a few months, or even a couple of years. But as we trust him, as we believe him, That healing will come. Whatever we need, nothing is too great for God. Hallelujah. Would all of our elders please come down if you're here and you're able to. Because we want to reach our hands out to you and pray for you. There's still some praying. We'll wait just a moment. Father God. We come to you today on behalf of our elders, Lord God. Father, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would release your healing power upon these men of God. Father, from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, my God. And Lord, we lift up John Spence, who's at home sick today. God, touch these men. Heal them, restore them, meet their every need and then some, oh God. Lord, I pray you would lengthen their lives, God. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the testimonies, the praise reports that will come from this service today. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I bless every person under the sound of my voice. God, as we go out, may we go out as we enter the mission field, being the hands and feet of Jesus to everyone we come in contact with. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 